In this episode, I will be your waterboarding instructor. Please keep all hands and feet inside the table and keep the cloth over your nose, eyes, and mouth. Try not to swallow your tongue. Breathe deeply and answer our questions, and we will be satisfied. I often get asked questions about waterboarding. I think it's because of, uh, well, there's a lot of reasons why I think I get asked that question, but I've answered the torture questions before. I'll probably dabble that in a little bit here, but most of it is the why did we do it? Why do we do some of the things we do? And what are the things that I've said are probably far worse, or I think are far worse than that? We're going to kind of talk about the art of intelligence to understand why things are done, why they're done the way they're done, what really leads to these decisions. This can actually be helpful for anybody who's looking at this beyond entertainment to understand when it comes to intelligence, the difference between perspective and perception and how decisions are made at all levels and why things are done the way they are. So while we will slightly and lightly address waterboarding, it will actually address the bigger picture because this is a question that is much larger than most people ever realize and contain more in it than just a simple answer. That's an unfortunate truth and a reality, but I'll do my best and hopefully you enjoy this episode and find it at least entertaining. So waterboarding in the art of intelligence, that's what we're going to talk about right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight. First, for announcements, I have finally spoken with David Robertson from DMR Publications. We had a long conversation today, part of which we discussed the whole UFO thing. Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program and the discussion I've mentioned in the past about us having together, which will be on YouTube. We are planning on this weekend, the 26th or 27th of June, being Saturday or Sunday. We will know for sure later in this week as he has some things going on, so it'll be very likely Wednesday at the earliest, Wednesday night at the earliest, that we will lock in a time, at which point we will both share on our social media when we're doing it. So if you're interested in that discussion, we're trying to have it before the report's released. It's not really necessary. It's mostly just to say, here's what's not going to happen. I'm not sure if that's even important, but it's something people have been interested in. We're going to do it on his channel because it's something he talks about on occasion, whereas I don't really talk about it here, where we will discuss things like what are people really seeing, which ones are clearly fake, which explanations of technology people think don't exist actually do. Also, reasons why it could all be very real, why it could all be other countries or other forms of life. We're going to run the gamut on all perspectives on what it could and couldn't be and why, providing enough information for people to have, I don't know, at least an entertainment value, if not more direct information or things to think about as this develops, if it does continue to develop further. Because there's plenty of information out there supporting all sides, and I don't think people realize that. Because like most things, and like most of us do, I do it myself and many things, is whether we think we have enough information or not or believe we know what it is we believe, we tend to already have made decisions and decided things before they've happened. So we want to kind of provide more information for people to see. We, of course, realize that just like any subject, there's people have already made decisions about whatever we're talking about that just aren't going to buy into it, and that's fine. But we think it'll be a fun topic, so we're definitely going to do that probably within the week. And we will, of course, share that information. So if there's something you're interested in that realm, you can definitely look forward to the plan that it's probably going to be Saturday or Sunday this weekend, probably late afternoon or evening. 
It'll be on the YouTube channel, DMRPUB. That's DMR Pub, short for DMR Publications. If you don't aren't sure how to find it, while I don't do a lot of YouTube, I do have links to my YouTube channel in the show notes. You can go to my YouTube channel, and when you go to the feature channel sections, you will find a direct link to DMR Pub. And we will get that scheduled and let everybody know. My intention never was to take this discussion and make it, I don't know, probably as big as it could be or perhaps as big as I'll make it by the time it's over. I mean, in the short version of reality and the way things work, no waterboarding isn't torture. The problem with that question is, before I go further, the problem with a question like that is when you say, is doing a thing, in this case, torture, what that suggests is there are other things that are not torture. And the problem with that suggestion is many of those things very well can be torture. One of the methods of interrogation is just simple, direct questions. Very simple. Without me even explaining it, whatever you think in your head a direct question is, you're probably right on par with how it would be defined in the intelligence community or very close for direct questions. Most reasonable people and anybody I've ever asked would say, no, that's not torture, nor could it be, but yes, it can be. It's entirely possible that that could be used as torture because just to get people caught up, torture isn't what people think it is. Most people think it's what they read in the dictionary. The dictionary has nothing to do with laws. Laws and how things are defined are passed by governments and nations and groups of people or tribes or whatever, and then they define those laws and the definitions of things in their writing, and then not all laws apply to all people equally. By that, what I mean is there are definitions of torture in United States code, but they're actually limited and vague. And while they do apply in the intelligence community, they don't even come close to the bigger issues from international laws and conventions that deal with such things like the law, land, warfare, and other subjects that mention things like torture. The short version is, to make it simple to understand, is if you take somebody, which in this situation waterboarding was people that we had categorized as detainees, that if you fail to comply or cooperate and that's how we see it and then we therefore do something as any form of punishment no matter how mild okay not severe no matter how mild that is by definition torture the problem with the word is what people think it is what a couple of idiots that were waterboarded had said why they would call it torture but their description of it's irresponsible because they're looking at how they felt about it what they understood about torture like most people did that we see in the movies and the treatment of people and whether or not we want to call it humane, that's not what makes it torture. The thing is, is why people want to argue this, the point that I they miss that I'm explaining is the definition and description of what makes torture is actually the way I've explained it to you in its simplest form makes it more restrictive for what you can do in all things and forces you in a position to pay more attention to the things you're doing because it's not actually hard to do. You just don't have to be waterboarding to commit torture. It's actually better to have it this way because it applies to more things. It makes more sense and is logical. 
And if you were to simply just tell people that, yes, waterboarding is torture, but these other things are not, these other things would happen more often and very likely be done inappropriately. And some of them happen. There's no denying that. And I think that's what's missed. But the reason why decisions are made, that's really a better question. But the question I was asked is why did, you know, people decide to do this? So I've talked about interrogation before a long time ago last year, but let's look at the bigger picture of intelligence or I'd say a broader spectrum of information that's processed. And most of this is going to focus on wartime events just because that's directly connected to the waterboarding. So in the, in the Intel world, the thing to understand is the difference between perception and perspective and how it's used. The problems with those words is one thing I told David today is I've never liked the word perception. I know how to use it, but I hate it. I hate how people use it sometimes. A lot of times when people explain perspective, which to keep it simple is point of view. When somebody doesn't like it, it's communicated in a way as though their description is manipulation or they're trying to play word games when that's really not the case. Maybe talking to your buddy or something, that's the case. But when it comes to a subject like we're talking to, that's not what it is. You know, this this might not be a reference that applies to everybody or everybody who understands, but the first thing I thought about was, again, movies, Empire Strikes Back. Uh, Luke Skywalker's down there with Yoda, the ghost of Obi-Wan's there. And he says something along the lines of, you'll come to learn that many of the truths we hold depend on a certain point of view. The thing to understand about the perspective is using the car wreck analogy I've done before is you could get 10 people, five on each side of the street who witness a car wreck. They will all have a different perspective on what happened. Okay. That doesn't mean any of them are wrong. It also doesn't mean any of them are right. More often what it's going to be through the investigation is piecing together enough commonalities, assuming there's nothing but these witnesses, to come up with the best idea and picture of what really happened. Now, with intelligence, it's a little different. It would be like taking evidence and information to forecast that that car wreck's going to happen. That'd be more accurate. But that description is to define or give you a better idea of looking at perspective. Whereas perception is more like you walk into a room, you're the boss, you see people doing things. Based on what you see and whatever happened prior to you walking in there, say related to that situation, typically in short order, in a short amount of time, and in this description, probably seconds, a determination is made about what's going on, what's right, and what's wrong. Having not been in there for some time, that is perception. The issue comes when somebody in that room who has perspective, having been there, brings that to the person with perception. That's where the problems come. The thing with perception is people use that word a lot, just in regular conversation or Twitter or whatever, to argue points or to say, well, that's your perception. When they're really misusing the words in a way because they're trying to manipulate in the way that people often say or attribute to perspective. Now, whether or not we're using the grammar correctly, I'm just explaining how people use those words and arguments. So when we put that into intel, if any of that made sense to you, if we put that into information 
there are perceptions that get made, but perceptions are dangerous. And realistically, the way I describe it, the higher you go up the ladder, the less those perceptions are there. They're always communicated that way in the media. You know, it's like government officials, and especially when it comes to people, when it has to do with military and intel stuff that I'm familiar with, whether it's a president or a secretary or something, a director of this, some member of some team or division or department within an agency, whatever it is, gets communicated in a way of like in the media about all the bad things in fighting and why they hate each other that's going on. But the reality, that's just the news being the news. Most of it isn't personalities. It's none of that because the people that are there doing it have the perspective. They're seeing things differently. While some may feel very passionate, they see things differently. They have a certain perspective that the perspective, the difference between perspective and perception to looking at perception, you know, you walk in the room, you're taking what little's there, making at best presumptions, logical conclusions to you that may not turn out to be logical Whereas perspective often comes from consumption of knowledge, processing the information to pick a point of view on a subject. So these people have different points of view, which often leads to the separation or termination of somebody in one of those jobs. I don't know, maybe that'll help. So when it comes to intel, a lot of it is about perspective, not perception. The Most of the perception that's looked at is what perception will people have if this is discovered? Not because something is illegal, because something's classified. What perception will they have? You know, if, if you find out something, like say waterboarding, for example, it's not like the government at the time or even now is going to come out and explain it. They're not going to come out and explain the process. They're not going to come out and do all these things because they're classified. And it hurts far more than just the information being out there. So they unfortunately have to allow that perception to occur because they can't control it. They try a little bit, but they pretty much can't go much farther into it because they need to leave that information protected. Applies to everything. I'm just using the waterboarding as an example. Sometimes you can forecast the possibility of how things will be perceived and what things you can do to mitigate, control, or plan for those events. So it's difficult in a long process. When it when it comes to things like intel or information you're gathering, which comes to leading to whatever decision, there are many things that are thought about that people talk about, but it's everything from how does the operation work? How can we do it better? What should we not do? How should we write this report? How are people going to see it? There's probably 500 other things if I thought about it long enough. The confusion people get sometimes is thinking like there's one person that has all those thoughts and that's not the case. There's many levels of people that may or may not have those things. But when it comes down to the, the pro on the ground, in the office, on the keyboard, given the brief, whoever making those decisions, perception has very little to do with it because they're not bureaucrats. They focus on the perspective of the end result of the analysis of the information in order to make decisions. So one example of intel which will lead into more of this discussion in a second. One of the examples of Intel's is, uh, I think it's called Dora Farm, something like that. So this was early, early after 9-11 when we go into Iraq and we send bombers in and we blow up this farm, blow up some buildings, kill some folks, and people thought for sure we killed Saddam Hussein. And it turned out we didn't. And that was... In a lot of ways in the public eye and how it was seen throughout the world was catastrophic failure. And it was a failure because we didn't get him. Now you could say, let's say we had got him, that we could 
avoided the war or the invasion? An honest, truthful answer to somebody who has perspective would say that's possible. If somebody was to go more definitive than that, then they're working off perception because there's nothing about that that really suggests the war would have happened. But it is possible because there's many other factors at play in. But what this goes into about decisions and the difficulty of decisions in the world of intel is what people call intelligence failures. Now, I have argued many times because it tells a process and how it works and you take, in short, the best information available and you make a decision that to say something is intelligence failure is typically a cop-out. There is a way that very logically you could argue intel's a fa failure but it's not in the way most people argue it. I talked about before on one of these podcasts about being conspiracy theorists, not the one where I talked conspiracy theories, but I've talked about the mental process of being conspiracy theorists. And one of the examples I gave was sitting in a room looking for the guy that had one eye and whether or not he was real, you know, could he have been fake? Could he have been faked and somebody filled in his place? Could he have died? And now he's all these different things. What that is, is an, ex an exercise in imagination, basically trying to imagine possibilities of what could happen. And you have to get pretty far out there. And the reason is, is there's things that, there's just things you're not aware of. There's things you don't know you don't know. That's the way Donald Rumsfeld put it. Part of the ways to defeat that often come to the use of imagination to dream up things and possibilities in order to develop more questions, investigate, collect more information to determine whether or not there's any validity to this crazy idea you dreamed up. When you don't have that imagination or that conspiracy theorist thinking, you lose out on certain possibilities. Whether or not that's there, you end up with like this door of far things where you get a person, which in that example would have been the president, this information is presented. And in that example, CIA, everybody else is like, you know, this is quality stuff. You know, this is a high degree of confidence type situation. And in that situation, you have, cho you have a choice to make. Do we do it or do we not? Now there's factors you look at. We don't do it. Here's some possibilities. We do it. Here's some possibilities. Whether or not they considered doing it and being wrong, that's not the point of this conversation. The point of this conversation is to say there's only so much information available, whether there's a failure to imagine or not. You do the best you can. And I, I mean that not like as a cop-out, but as wholeheartedly. You're doing the best you can with the information you have. And you make a decision, and sometimes it's going to be wrong. And that goes back to things like waterboarding because understanding whether or not it really is wrong. So, for example, the government has released the number three being that's how many people were waterboarded. Now, there's, I have reason to believe that number is inaccurate. But by extremely small margin, smaller than most people would ever guess. However, comma, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed is documented to have been waterboarded 183 times. When people heard that, when Congress heard that, they took that number because of what intel they were told was available, because they weren't told everything, but even if they were, it probably wouldn't have mattered, that that meant 
it was a failed technique because it had to be done so much. Now, this is before other people came in and talked about it or had discussions or any other of that stuff. They'd already made this decision. And they had very little amount of reputable people to even say one way or another whether or what it worked. It really was just trying to, that was being used as supporting information to the decision they'd already made. Ignoring that, the idea was it happened 183 times, therefore it's a failure. So that raises questions. Are you suggesting that it should have only happened once or twice. I mean, what's the right number? There's that argument. The argument is, though, if doing it 183 times is what happened and you don't believe that you got enough positive information and you know it's documented some of the information was false and some of it was known to be false at the time the statements are made and therefore it's ineffective, what you're really saying is, all decisions in interrogation and all forms of interrogation are, are just as faulty and should not be used. And the reason why is there's techniques I've used probably that many times on somebody or close to it in just a matter of weeks that are not waterboarding, going back to the intro version when I mentioned direct questions. I have no doubt when it comes to direct questions, because by definition, every time you water, if you waterboard a guy for 15 seconds, you stop. He starts to speak, doesn't want to speak, tells the truth, tells a lie. You go back into waterboarding. And let's say in five minutes, you've done it, we'll say five times. That's five of the 183. Now, I'm not saying the amount of time matters. I'm just giving you an example. Using that argument and the logic is, every time I ask somebody a direct question, that counts. Therefore, what that would mean, I have no doubt that in times I've interrogated people, I've definitely asked direct questions and in interrogations more than 183 times in just one session not all the days in which I spoke with them. Not to mention that, guess what happens? They lie a lot. A lot of times we know it, sometimes we don't. They do give good information. Sometimes they sit there and just don't answer. The point is to say that the ways in which things are determined by, say, Congress in this example or in the public eye are using terms and labels in a way to drive people towards a certain decision without providing all the information or truly putting it into perspective. They're using the perception or creating perception or just amplifying their own perception on what really comes down to right and wrong. God, I hope people are still listening to this. I hope this does not turn out to be a bomb of a podcast because <laughs> it very well could be. So to turn this back around on, how intelligence is used to make decisions. The point I'm making is in the community and at governmental levels that are directly involved in these decisions, regardless of how it's communicated or how it's miscommunicated even by them or the way stories are told, it's perspective-based. It's not perception-based. It is perspective-based. Of course, bad decisions have been made. Bad decisions will be made in the future. Things could be called bad decisions just because somebody, a group of people, or just one important person that matters decides it was a failure because they didn't get the 100% result they were looking for. You know, if, if you look at, like I mentioned on the training page, I talked about intelligence related to the capture or the killing of bin Laden. I think I actually said the word capture at one point in that podcast, but obviously he wasn't captured, he was killed. Let's take that same operation. What if it had turned out differently? What if it turned out he was not there? 
or at least that night. We're not able after the fact to find or determine anything based on the information available that ever was him, but we do believe it was probably somebody important. The helicopter crash still happens and some of the SEALs get killed or even taken into custody and captured. How would that story be told? Or let's say they did capture somebody and a couple guys died and none of them got captured, but the guy they caught was just some mid-level asshat that would not necessarily, in most situations, justified an incursion into Pakistan, incursion being that's how it was labeled. That would be communicated in many circles as a failure because the results are different. So in the first example, the results are definitely negative. In the second version I gave you where they capture somebody else, the results are still positive. But if the results don't justify the perceived outcome of some or even the believed or suggested outcome based on the intelligence available, then it can be perceived as failure. But it's not fair to say that because at the end of the day, those decisions are based on the intel available. And the thing is, when you make the statements like the information available at the time is not to say that you didn't know there was more out there. It's not to say that. It's to say that at the time, that's literally what we had and what we believed to be true. For example, another example of things people don't like to hear. During Benghazi, when the Benghazi incident happened, one of the things that happened that made the news here, for those we will remember very quickly, if you don't know what I'm suggesting, was about some sort of videotape, YouTube, or something like that that led to federal agents going to some dude's house in this country thinking that, I don't even remember all the details of it, but whatever it was had to do with the situation. And then, at least on the conservative side, because Hillary Clinton at that time, was I think she was Secretary of State or whatever, and all the things that are involved, it comes out that that was you know, fake, it was bullshit, they were using it to cover up, whatever. The reality of the situation at that time is based on the information available and the degree of confidence in it, which turned out to be wrong, was what was believed to be true, which is why those decisions were made. The other thing about that is that's a more pressing issue than, say, the Bin Laden raid because Bin Laden had been out there for a long time. We're well past 9-11 when they killed Bin Laden. They're looking for this guy at a long time. Benghazi happens like on or close to the anniversary of 9-11, which this year at 9-11 being the 20th anniversary would be one of the bigger threats of something happening again in the world. The difference being, though, in this situation with Benghazi is that was an immediate threat and action that had taken place. There's other things that had happened in the world, and they wanted to stop potential of more things happening. Now, we always want to stop potential of more things happening. The, the point just is more extreme measures typically are taken in more pressing, time-sensitive situations. So that's part of why decisions are made the way they are is how time sensitive is the potential outcome of the information we're hoping to get. You know, when we talk to people and interrogate them, one of the things we want, the primary drive we want is more information to stop more things and take more action. We always want to know about more future attacks or things this person may know that could lead to other people that would know that information. We're always looking for that. But there was a time where we brought in a high value target. We had taken down, not me, this was the unit I was working with at the time, had taken down and 
detained or killed everybody in one of the terrorist groups in Iraq. It was a smaller group, but they were very active, very violent. And the leader I had, I had him. And we actually extended him to the maximum time because we had so many people in there, we weren't getting a chance to talk to him. The thing is, we only got to talk to him three times, one of which was just his initial screening. And I remember this colonel getting pissed off about it. And I had to stop everything I'm doing to lay out why the decision was made. The reason why the decision was made is we chose to talk to lesser insignificant people and put a lot of time and effort into them. That in the grand scheme of things were insignificant, but the reason was attacks and things had just happened where people had been detained and captured, where it was well known they were doing more attacks, some of which happened, some of which were stopped. And we needed that information now because while we had a high value target who very likely had and eventually determined to have more intelligence in the bigger picture of things that mattered, we had an immediate threat. And what we did did contribute to stopping some of those immediate threats, but not all of them. In the same manner, the decision to use something like waterboarding or one of the higher leveled, I don't think higher leveled is the best way to explain it, but one of these, what they called enhanced at the time, but more restrictive or professional techniques, techniques used by CIA, not the month military. The military didn't waterboard anybody. A lot of it has to do with more time sensitive or significant events and information or to get somebody that is more significant who has done something bad that will do other things. So for example, when we waterboarded Abu Zubaydah, the information we got from him is what led to capturing Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. You know why 9-11 was over. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed is known as the mastermind. If he's the mastermind and we have the information that says he can plan and pull off this attack, it's reasonable to presume, meaning reasonable and logical, that's a presumption, that not only does he have the capability because he's demonstrated it very well, he could plan something like this again and may very well already be doing it. Therefore, we need to get rid of that guy. And because attacks like that just happen and there was nothing really stopping it at the time, who's to say it doesn't happen somewhere else in the world or to us again? So therefore... That's why that decision was made. And it was made also because they were in the custody and being interrogated by CIA. And that's how that decision came to be. And it was proved to be effective. The thing is, words like effective aren't legal terms. Torture, that's a legal term that has to be explored and understood and can't just be used willy-nilly out of a dictionary. Whereas effective is an example of a word that's used in description based on perception. Somebody in Congress or CIA can take the position they want all day long about whether or not something's effective, pro or con. The question is, what information are they using? So to say somebody is in CIA and says, well, waterboarding is ineffective for these reasons, we'd want to believe them because that's where they work. But what we don't know is where did they work in there? What direct involvement did they have in if any? What real access to that information do they have? What training do they have in it? Were they ever involved in it? Because they could be from many places. It's something we tend to forget in our perspective. In the same situation, though, it's fair to say, just because somebody's in Congress, never worked in Intel, may or may not be on an Intel committee, and they therefore make the decision that, yes, this was fair and effective and should be used, 
we shouldn't necessarily discount that, even though it's perception, because they clearly don't have all these things we assume this CIA guy does. Now, the reason why that's a fair statement, I want to go back to how intelligence works, is as I've explained many times, and I explained on the Intel training page, whether or not decisions are made or how they're made, everything starts in the cycle. Intelligence, it's a cycle. It's not a noun, it's a verb. Where questions are asked for whatever reason, whether it's the initial question or comes up from something else, information is collected, assessed, analyzed, and they go through the whole process. Many people are involved. Reports are written, briefings are given. All this stuff is compiled at whatever level it goes to. There's tons of information out there. Information is always evolving. It's always changing. New stuff comes in. I've explained before, just like we've thought things in history, based on all the evidence that it was definitely true. We discover new things. Some people like it. Some people don't. Things change. This is why it's important to understand that one person or a few people's positions in almost every case on something like intelligence, regardless of who they are, what we believe or know for sure they have for experience or knowledge or access to the information, isn't fair or even logical or reasonable to use their deduction to say whether or not their end result decision on this is accurate. And that is regardless of whether or not their in-state statement is what we tend to agree or disagree with. Why is this important? Because this goes back to many things I talk about on here. One, obviously, being intelligence, how intelligence works. The other thing is about information we collect. This speaks to things I talk about when I talk about body language, communicating with people, detecting deception, building rapport. Whether or not I've used the words, one of the things I've explained even though I probably haven't used the words, is whether it's us or that other person, even if it's something like detecting deception, is heavily based on perception and or perspective of either us or that other individual involved. The point being that it doesn't matter how big or small it is, what level it is, whether it's a government entity, an agency, a military, or just you talking to somebody else, perspective and perception plays a large role into it. Like I've said with body language, Nonverbals, based on the study you read, average out to about 70% of all communication. A lot of that we pick up subconsciously. However, most of the time, I've also said when people say things, I've used like crossing arms as an example, and they say, well, this means this. It's heavily based on their own exposure and experience for things they've been told that they don't really remember or realize that is more perception-based on little information than it is perspective-based because of training or experience. So I don't know if this podcast is even going to work. You'll know if you hear it, but I don't know when I play it back if I'm even going to redo it or publish it. But I guess what I'm saying is going back to some of the things I've always said before, which is no matter what you're looking into, no matter what you're researching, when I talk about biases and the things that we're doing, just remember that I think it's, this is my opinion, I think it's a responsibility just like it definitely was in the professional side when I was working that the things we consume, whether it's we're working to collect intelligence from somebody and asking questions or we're just watching the news, that I think it's responsible to look at is this perspective or is it perception? Because that can help us identify whether or not there's missing information. Is it manipulated? Is it manipulated because we believe these people always manipulate it or is that something they really believe? have they taken a perspective position 
based on the information they have to make this decision. Now, granted, especially when it comes to the news or just other random talking heads, a lot of it is belief-based on the values they hold. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's perception based on little information. There's some people that just believe things and that's right for them and that's the truths they hold. And like I've always said, truth is subjective, whereas facts are not. And I've always said one of the biggest weaknesses that we have as people, and that's just people in general, no matter who you are, where you're at, that people often try to focus on truth when that should almost never be done. When it comes to making decisions, getting information, or deciding what is or isn't factual, because it is heavily biased towards our own belief systems and not actually looking for other information to see if the perspective on it can change because we get more data. And I don't know that this really answers the question on why things like waterboarding have happened or why mistakes were made or why a decision was made and went wrong or why, even though I didn't say it, it just doesn't seem like certain people in government don't care sometimes when things go badly or they just kind of blow it off. It's because they know that, you know, there's nothing they can really do about certain things. And also reminding that there's so many things we'll never know. There's so much information you'll never have. Most of the information people make, especially on these bigger subjects when it comes to intel, are based heavily on what they can find on the internet. And most of it's stuff they're directly being told by people that have no access or placement to real information. And those that do aren't going to come out and give you all the specifics. You know, a simple example is, I talked to David today. We had a long conversation after his show, which you should go check out, but we talked about the pandemic and went through different possibilities and things I told him I believed in why, which for both of us, I think, gave us discoveries and thoughts and ideas we hadn't considered before. You know, does it matter anymore? Does it not matter where it came from? You know, it's like the whole bat thing. Like, it's easy to see the bat thing's real. The story of the bat is not real. You know, that somebody bought a dirty bat in the uh, market, ate it, and spread that disease. There's a, a th unlikely theoretical possibility for that, but it's well known. If you don't know, you can look this up. It's well known that bats are studied and used all the times because they can be infected with so many viruses, so many very deadly viruses that they only have asymptomatic symptoms that's used in the study of um, the virology and all that. And it's well known it was done in that lab. And even Dr. Yan, he talks about has in one of her, I think three or four papers she wrote mentioned that that's what happened based on the discovery of a couple versions of a, of a developed virus, a type of coronavirus that was discovered in bats some years ago in the last five or six years, something along those lines and led to, or was brought into some of this research. So there is factual information that a lot of this comes from bats. It's just not that it was natural because it wasn't. It wasn't like it was natural. A lot of that stuff's horseshit, but the involvement of a bat in the story is very real. It's so the question is what information you have. People wanted to believe that for a lot of reasons in the beginning because of perceptions we have about China. Then when the information starts evolving, and there's tons of it a year ago, it became the whole bat thing is bullshit. Well, it's not that the bat was bullshit it was the story of how the bat how the bat did it with the candlestick in the dining room that was garbage but we went through a lot of things talking about perception and perspective and discussing things looking at all these different possibilities 
discussing things that are misunderstood by people like gain of function or a weapon and what those really mean and which words are significant or not and breaking down nomenclature and terminology to the point we decided we probably should have had a live show on it, even though whoever hosted it probably get burned on YouTube. Anyway, the point was is when you're able to have these conversations or have them with yourself when you're looking through sorting through information, you begin to understand things differently or become more open and objective about things. Put some of your passions and biases aside and then can start to understand why things are done the way they're done. Because oftentimes when we look at like, like deception, at whatever level and whoever you think it was, I think most people believe there's at least some amount of deception in the government throughout the entire pandemic. And that's fair. Regardless of whether or not what they think is deception really happened, I think we all believe there's some version of that there. The problem with that idea is we look at it from our point of view, our perspective of what we would do, what we think is right or wrong, what we think the best answer would have been. And we don't look at it from the perspective of a government that's running a country and why they would be deceptive and make these decisions. And the times that we pretend that we do is because we then take our perception and then turn them into evil, bad people and say, this is why they did it, which is based on perception and feelings because of things we've already decided and not any actual realistic information. You know, we discussed things about masks and the inoculation and stopping the spread and all these things that were in the way in which they have been or are now being used are utter garbage, but why that deception would happen. And that speaks to some of the same stuff, like in intelligence, one of the examples I've always used is Donald Rumsfeld. You know, when he would talk, he was an animated guy and there was a briefing he gave, you know, he's talking to, uh, you know, in the whatever room in the white house to the reporters. And he, I remember he's like, I think he's like banging his fist on the desk or something and talking about Saddam Hussein. We don't know where he is. And what I've always told people is at that time, we, we were close to getting him. One of the things they had to do was lie. And it was smart of them to lie to everybody and to make it look like we had intelligence failures and we didn't know what we were doing. And why was that smart? Because it's not like other people don't watch our news, especially bad guys and are tracking what we're doing. Because even if we don't know for sure they're doing it, we're doing it to everybody else, so it's reasonable they'd be doing it too. And the thing is, if you give them the idea that you're getting close, or if you were to say, we've almost got them, once they have that information, they could change just the patterns of what they're doing, and we could lose them. So that information was communicated, which not just was a deception, it was a straight-out lie, which was a contributing factor to why we eventually did get it. Now, it's not to say... I'm not suggesting the ends justify the mean, the lesser of two evils. I know it may sound like that. Not what I'm saying at all. I'm simply saying that there are reasons why things are done. And whether you want to call it the lesser of two evils, whether or not you like it or disagree with it, it's about understanding why. Understanding why isn't something that's going to change your position and make something okay or not okay. It's to give you more insight or to have more self-discovery in your process of whatever you're learning about to be able to ask more questions so that you can ask more questions and therefore get more answers or find more answers on your own, become more curious and to 
find out more information that may evolve and change or support your existing position as long as you go about it the right way. Which even looking at that is really what intelligence is about and how it's used. Whether we like the methods, the end results, the assessments or statements, or whether we don't. If you like this episode, don't forget us a like, share, heart, whatever your platform is using and make sure you let people know you think will enjoy this material. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're at. And don't forget to check out the show notes and check out dmrpublications.com. And we will be back again shortly with more information right here on Grayman, Hiding in Plain Sight.